This episode is brought to you by Polk Elder Care Guide, your guide for all things senior care and resources. Available in both English and Spanish, you can find the guide and much more at polkeldercare.com. The world seems to get smaller every day as technology advances at breakneck speed. While this enhances our ability to stay connected and take advantage of lots of conveniences, it can also put us at risk, too. How do you protect yourself from cybercrime? How can you tell if someone is trying to take advantage of you? And how can you help your aging loved ones protect themselves? If you're concerned about cybercrime and how it affects all of us, then this is the podcast episode for you. Welcome to the Sage Aging Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Craven. The mission of Sage Aging is to help you connect to information and resources that will empower you to master the aging and caregiving journey. Weekly, I'll bring you great conversations with industry professionals and others to shed some light on topics of aging and to empower you to take charge of your journey. So grab a cup of coffee or maybe a cool glass of lemonade and sit back and relax as we chat. Are you ready? Hit subscribe now and let's get started. Welcome to episode 28 of the Sage Aging Podcast. We're living in a digital world. And according to a 2019 survey, 73% of U.S. adults age 65 or older are using the internet. While more tech-savvy senior population is a good thing, it also leaves it more vulnerable than ever before. So how do we educate ourselves and our loved ones about cybercrime and fraud? How do we recognize scams and schemes before falling victim to them? We're going to answer those questions and more today. My guest today is Mark Batchelor, Vice President of Victim Services Programs at Cybercrime Support Network. You'll find all of Mark's contact information and links to Cybercrime Support Network in the show notes, and you can also find that in the blog post for episode 28 at sageaging.us. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This is great. Well, I can't wait to pick your brain a bit today so that my listeners and I can be in the know about cybercrime and fraud and figure out how we can protect ourselves. But first, we'd all love to hear a little bit more about you and how you got into this field. Oh, well, uh, I'm uh, living in Orlando. I'm not a native of um, Florida, unfortunately. I am a transplant like many other people from up north, born and raised in New Jersey. But I've been in the nonprofit field in Central Florida since, well, for about 12 years or so. And I've worked with all kinds of populations, a lot of vulnerable populations, including our seniors. Um, uh, unfortunately, um, I've seen elder abuse cases and, and neglect and things like that. But I've also worked with you know, school-age children, and um, I've worked with people with financial disparity issues and, and, you know, housing and food insecurity. And they became very close to my heart. I'm very attached to not only the community in which I live, but um, I consider myself a full Floridian. Uh, so the work I do, uh, I do statewide and I, I really care about 
all the different populations that we have here in Florida. And there are quite a lot of different demographics and communities, and it's, it's really a great place to be. Well, we're happy to have you here because we need people looking out for us. And I know that the cybercrime realm that you're in is not where you always were. So what brought you to that? What inspired you to follow that path? I'm a big advocate of um, online safety issues and online privacy issues. So this was a good fit when it came to my attention. And so there's a lot of good mission, I guess, cross-pollination because everybody is affected by cybercrime one way or another. There are different ways in which we're affected, uh, all kinds of different crimes, which we'll, we'll talk about, but uh, it can have real serious consequences for people. The term cybercrime, I think, is so broad that people don't really consider the individual effects of it sometimes. We just think about big hacks or we think about you know something we read in the paper that affects you know, a ransomware or maybe a data breach, but we don't see that it affects people on a personal level um, and not only in their pocketbooks, but also psychologically the effects of it. If somebody is say uh, embroiled in a scam where they give away a large part of their life savings, maybe that can fray relationships with your family, which can cause um, a lot of uh, trauma. Uh, we see people with suicidal ideation sometime after incidents like that, unfortunately, you know, then there's, you know, that lack of money can domino effect. If you're locked out of your bank for a while, or you just have the money taken out of your bank for a while and it can't be replaced, think about how many people you know that might not have a support system in place that can get them through that, uh, which leads to, you know, not being able to pay your groceries or get your car fixed to get to work. Um, it can have a real dangerous snowball effect. You know, that's a great segue into our topic points that we want to talk about today. So let's back up just a bit and give us a good definition of cybercrime. What is that? Because I think that some people have a little misconception because it says cyber in front mm -hmm. of it, that it's only things that happen on the internet or only certain types of fraud that we see online. Can you give us a good overview of what that term cybercrime really means? Yeah. And I think most simply it would be any crime that either affects a computer or a device like your phone or, or home computer, or they use a device to perpetrate the crime. Like if they do a denial of service attack on a phone system, or they use credit card scammers, uh, skimmers to take your money. So it's it's when some sort of technology is, is used in the crime. Uh, and it, it's broad based. I mean, you can get something as simple as those robocalls on your phone, which can sometimes be as simply just annoying, or it could be something far more serious, um, like a really complicated scam or money being deducted from your bank without you knowing or your credit being hurt. Um, or sometimes can lead to acts of, of physical violence if online stalking progresses unchecked and, and things get dangerous. And it, so when people think about it, you know, they think maybe, well, I'm not on a computer all the time, maybe just at work. But think about your phone. I mean, how much mm -hmm. stuff is on there? People put private messages on there and their health information and their their bank accounts and personal, you know, uh, identifying information. Uh, and now things are connected in ways that we never thought about 10 years ago. I mean, you walk into some people's houses and 
their refrigerators talking to the internet and their thermostats talking to the internet and everything else. And those are little ways in. Uh, we right. saw, I guess, what was it last year? That news clip of that little girl in her room and somebody hacked in through the ring camera. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. You, know, you have to, um, it causes us to have to think more about how we're arming ourselves and what devices need to be armed. Because at night, you know, we'll lock our door and we'll turn on the alarm and that keeps us physically safe. Um, but we need to do other things to our computers and our devices to make sure that that's equally safe. Good point. What percentage of Americans would you say are victims of cybercrime? Uh, well, one of the reasons we're in this is because it's it's uh, incredibly undercounted. There's an agency that a part of the FBI called the IC3, which is the Internet Crime Complaint Center. And they take uh, reports on all kinds of uh, Internet-based crimes. And last year, they did about 400,000 complaints that they received. This year with COVID and, and unemployment and everything, it's going to be blasted out of the water. Yeah. But even with the 400,000, they estimate that that's only a very small fraction of people um, because that's people who, first, they have to know what IC3 is. Before I got this job, I didn't know. Um, right. They have to know they were a victim of a crime. They had to choose to report, which a lot of people don't. And then they had to choose to report to the IC3. So that's a very small pool. Gallup did a survey and they estimate it's one in four Americans that are actually affected by cybercrime. Wow. That's a huge number. That is a really huge number. That's bigger than I expected, frankly. Yeah. And, and frankly, now, you know, there are all kinds of scams out there with the, with the pandemic and with people working at home and people being unemployed and people shopping more online. There's all different avenues now that people are looking to take advantage of. So we can expect to see that number go, go up, unfortunately. So how does cybercrime affect older adults specifically? Is Are the numbers bigger than that one in four, or do we see similar statistics there? Older adults are one of the most prevalent. Uh, I think the numbers are slightly higher for young adults, uh, be, probably because mm-hmm. of the amount of time they spend online. But the dollar loss, the impact financially is by far greater for older adults. Uh, And that I think is two reasons. There are like really great parts about being an older adult that uh, are attractive to scammers and fraudsters because, you know, they may be more likely to own property. You know, Florida may be a second property, a vacation property. Um, They have longer credit lines and probably better credit. They have maybe a nest egg put aside. So those are all very attractive things to somebody looking to take advantage of. Uh, and then unfortunately, the, the downside that some people experience as they, they get uh, of advanced age, maybe their memory starts to slip a little bit. Um, maybe they're not as sophisticated with some of the devices we use. Um, maybe they don't have support systems around them uh, where there's, they have somebody to help them with their finances or to take care of you know other security needs. Uh, And so that's another way that people are looking to take advantage, unfortunately. And I think that right now, seniors tend to be, because of the way they were brought up and because of their generation and the way society was then, they tend to be a little more trusting and very in tune to what they consider to be authoritative figures. So if your doctor says, do X, Y, Z, you're not probably going to seek a second opinion unless you're really encouraged to do so by your family. And I know that for the older adults in our family, it was that way because mm-hmm. they were so trusting of, of what they were being told. 
Yeah, and that's, I think that's a great point. And I think that's where um, things like phone spoofing really play a, a big part. And that's when somebody can make the phone number that appears on your caller ID look like it's coming from anywhere. So it can look like it's coming from your uh, doctor's office or from your, your bank, which you trust. And so at first glance, it's you just want to trust it because they may have such certain information about you that they've gleaned whether from public records or from a hack or even getting it online. And so it's always important to kind of slow down. Um, Those people are more likely to prey upon your trust, like you said, but also your fears. I think sometimes there are some scams called the grandparent scams where they'll say, you know, your grandson has been in an accident or, or has been arrested and, you know, we, we need you to send money now. And something clicks in, you know, your your love of family is going to override your sense of wanting to slow down and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, let me assess the situation. Um, and so some people act a little more rashly than they should sometimes. Uh, sure. and, like, and likewise, um, if they say, you know, we're calling from the police and or the IRS and you owe us money and you're going to you know, have a lien on your house or be arrested if you don't pay this. That I think plays on a fear, not of being arrested, but of being older and saying, did I miss something? Right. You know, they might be sharp as a tack, but everybody is prone to second guess themselves sometimes and say, am I starting to slip? And so to overcompensate, they may pay uh, the people just, just to be safe. Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What other things make us vulnerable to cybercrime? Uh, well, there are a lot of vulnerabilities. Unfortunately, um, a lot of hacks are human error, just people clicking what they shouldn't have. Uh, so it, it's a lot of just educating yourself on what a scam looks like and what a red flag might look like. A lot of people are being more educated on suspicious emails. You know, don't click on a suspicious link or, or right. don't download something you're not familiar with. But just like with the phone spoofing I talked about, they can make an address look like it's coming from anywhere. Um, so what sometimes people need to do is hover their cursor above the address and see if it really goes to that place and be careful of that, mindful. We've partnered with Google on a website called scamspotter.org. Oh, and okay. it, and it, yeah. And it's, it's aimed at those kind of issues and it, it's, very user-friendly. It's very senior-friendly. There's big font. It's very colorful. It's very easy to use. And they just focus on three simple rules for for identifying those types of things. Uh, The first being slow it down. Like I said, sometimes a caller or or an emailer will create a sense of urgency saying we need this money now. uh, And they play in those instincts. So it is important to take that step back and say, wait a minute, what's going on here? What's the situation? Is you know, I talked to my grandson this morning and he, he's fine. The second being spot check. So do your research and double check. If the phone uh, number looks like it came from your bank, say, you know what, I'll call you back uh, and then call the number on the back of your credit card, which goes directly to the bank and just ask them, say, I got a call about this. Is this something I need to worry about? And more than likely, they'll say, no, you you know, you did the right thing. You, you, sh- you shouldn't have given them money. Um, but if they did need something from you, they'll let you know. And the third being stop, what they call it, stop, don't send. You know, just hold off on sending that money 
um, until you do the first two steps, because uh, no reputable person or agency is going to ask for immediate payment. Um, it's just not done. And, you know, agencies like uh, the IRS, they're not going to call you anyway. They're going to send you a letter and they're not going to take payments and gift cards. If there's anything you take away from, <laughs> from our conversation today yeah. is gift cards are a big red flag. You know, if, if you read over some of the, the scams and, and stories I hear, you would think the federal government is uh, funded by gift cards because they're because <laughs> the IRS is always asking for gift cards. And that's just not the case. Um, <laughs> they do that because uh, they're not traceable. And they, as soon as you give that number, that's going to be spent right away. They have it all set up and you can't get that money back. So hold off on your payments. And, and if they're asking you for a gift card, you know, again, say, I'm sorry, I'll call you back and just hang up and, you know, deal with the exact agency that, that called you. You know, the cops are never going to uh, call and tell you they're going to arrest you if you don't pay them. Uh, if you did something wrong, they're just going to come arrest you. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you so mind your P's and Q's. <laughs> but I do love the advice about saying, I've got to call you back because- <laughs> Then you can do your own research, call whoever it is they're claiming to be with the number that you know goes there, and then you can protect yourself that way because that's we see a lot of that. I know I get a lot of text messages and phone calls and emails all the time, and it is obvious to me that they are not true because I keep a pretty close check on who I communicate with, but... Another thing that I notice is in the emails and text messages, there are a lot of misspellings or a lot of um, strange looking fonts, like not normal fonts. Yeah. And that's a great point because I used to think that was just sloppy, like, oh, who, you know, who would fall for this? But um, they're actually very sophisticated because um, if you and I look at that and we delete it right away, they don't want to spend any more time going after us. But if somebody's reading it quickly and doesn't quite notice uh, a misspelling or doesn't care and, and engages, that's the person they want because right. they made it that far and they can continue trying to, to foster some sort of communication. Uh, it's really, you know, surprising sometimes when, when something so simple is actually very sophisticated. What would you say are the biggest ones that are being seen right now? Well, COVID has, has changed the game on a lot of things, but on a typical day, one of the biggest things we see is particularly with seniors is online romance scams. You know, that's mm-hmm. if some you're online, whether it's Facebook or a dating site or any number of, of social media sites and somebody, you know, approaches you with kind words and says they're attracted to you and they want to get to know you and they start a relationship uh, and then slowly they say, well, I need some money. I'd love to come visit you, but I'm stationed, you know, overseas or I work on an oil rig or I live across country. Um, I'd love to come see you, but my daughter needs some surgery first and I don't have the money for that. Um, and so they play on that and sometimes they'll have the person send you money and then they'll keep doing that and as far as they can get. And sometimes it can get very, very far. Uh, we're talking to somebody, a colleague of mine who's uh, working with a victim who's in for about $2 million oh. on something like that, because, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants, I guess. Uh, yeah. And it, 
it, it overrides the brain, especially now when so many people are in their homes, unable to socialize in traditional ways. So they're looking for those connections. They're looking for somebody to just pass time with. And that's a very powerful emotion. Um, and mm-hmm. people prey on that. And before you get, you're able to, to realize it, it's, it's very hard to drag yourself away from that. So the romance scams, unfortunately, aren't going away. We see now um, working at home, uh, some more shopping scams because people are shopping from home. Right. With seniors, they also, uh, again, the phone scams are big with, with seniors still, particularly those who, who have retained their landlines. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're typically not as familiar or they don't use technology as frequently. Um, so they're a little bit more prone. Yeah, locally, we've seen a lot of the ones that call and say that they are the electric company mm-hmm. and demanding immediate payment over the phone. Yes, yes. And, and you know, pay by phone is a, a valid way to pay a lot of utility companies. Just remember, do it the other way around. Uh, again, it's always okay to say, I'll call you back. And then you can call your utility company and make sure your account is clear, uh, especially now when there's a lot of ways, uh, a lot of people who are unable to pay their bills because of recent job loss and stuff. And that's what we're seeing. That's how COVID's kind of changed the game. People are receiving offers for medical supplies, uh, receiving offers for employment that don't pan out. You know, anytime there's misfortune, unfortunately, somebody's there to try to try to pick at that. And, and we have to guard our seniors against that and guard our, our friends and neighbors against it, no matter how old they are. What should we do if we become a victim of cybercrime? It's not always easy to know, and this is part of why CSN started in the first place. The first thing is first knowing that you are a victim because sometimes if a store database was breached and you were one of, you know, 5 million people that had their identity stolen, you might not know for quite a while. Um, Mm. But once you do know, or, or you've had engagement with a, a scammer and you know, you've been taken, it's very important to report it. Like I said, whether it's to the IC3, which there's under reporting, Reporting it to someone does three things. It lets it gives you a voice to actually have action taken and let somebody know that this happened to me and, and I want to share this experience. But it also lets agencies like like law enforcement agencies and, and legislative agencies know that this is a problem. Um, so if there are really not a lot of resources in your community to tackle these or, or go after these types of crimes, the more reports they see, the more they'll take it seriously as a type of crime. Uh, and then the third, that's that's how you're going to get help, um, is by reporting. So CSN's mission is to make sure that people who want to do so find the right place to report. Because right now, there's not just the IC3. You might have to report to Facebook or to your bank or to the FTC or to Consumer Affairs. There are just so many places to go that it's overwhelming. And if somebody makes a call and gets put on hold and is told it's the wrong thing, they're going to give up out of frustration. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we do, we have two avenues to help people right now uh, in Florida. We have fraudsupport.org, which is our national website for victims. And they can go on there and just, it's very easy to use. They can say, I'm an individual and this is what happened to me. And for our older adults, we even have a separate section for them 
um, because they're disproportionately affected. So we have three sub areas on our website, one for older adults and their caregivers, one for younger adults, and one for military families, because those three populations are targeted disproportionately. But once you go on there and you just click what type of experience you had, was it, you know, were you hacked online? Did somebody steal your identity? Um, were you cyberbullied, et cetera? Uh, you get taken to the right page to help you do three things, to find out where to report it, find out how to recover from it, and find out how to reinforce your system so it doesn't happen again. So the right steps will be there. The right phone numbers or web links will be there for you. So you don't have to go through a maze trying to wonder what agency is the right one. Uh, and since we're talking about Polk County here, residents in Polk County and, and about 15 other counties in Florida can dial 211, which is a national number, but with local services. So in Polk County, if you dial 211, for any social service, whether you need those food banks we were talking about or utility assistance, uh, they're there for you to talk you through that and, and get you the right help. Uh, likewise, now we've trained those specialists to understand cybercrime. Uh, so if you call, you can report your cybercrime. They'll talk you through the instance. They'll help you make the report to the IC3 if necessary. Uh, they'll tell you where else you might need to report if that's applicable. And then if something did happen that causes you personal loss, like I said, whether it's depression or um, food insecurity or job loss, maybe, uh, you know, maybe it caused you to lose your job, 211 can help you sort through that and get the local resources that are available for that. So you get the national reporting, but you also get localized help. So I think that's a good combination to give somebody. It really is. That's a great collaboration. So we actually have listeners all over the country. Is that same 211 available everywhere or just in certain areas? The 211 program is currently only in a few states. It's statewide in New Jersey, North Carolina, Rhode Island, um, and then parts of Michigan, parts of West Michigan, and 15 counties here in Florida. Um, including the Central Florida region, which uh, a lot of your listeners are are into. But if you go onto fraudsupport.org, if you are in one of those catchment areas, you'll see a pop-up banner come and let you know that 2-on-1 is available to as an option to call. So um, rather than need to name, you know, 30 counties oh, of course. <laughs> and bore right. you, um, the fraud support, will, fraud support will tell you which ones, uh, which regions you live in that will we'll cover that. And just a note for our listeners, all of the things that we're talking about today, all of those links and resources, those will all be available for you in the show notes and also in the blog post for episode 28. And to find that, you're going to just go to sageaging.us and look for the blog post for episode 28. So no worries if you didn't catch any of those, we're going to have those all covered for you. You know, while you were talking, you said something that caught my attention because we've really been talking about cybercrime in the sense of things that have financial ramifications. But you mentioned cyberbullying. And I think it's important for us to put it out there that a cybercrime isn't always about money. Yes, absolutely. And um, when it comes to cyberbullying or cyberstalking, that can have real consequences, especially if it's spouse or intimate partner stalking and, and abuse. In those cases, you know, bypass two one one and go straight to nine one one if necessary, because 
We want people to be safe. And then after that's taken care of, 2-on-1 can help you with what you need. But um, safety is the most important thing. But but you're right, that can have real-world consequences because even if, say, a stalker doesn't take that next step into the real world and, and create a dangerous situation, we see people traumatized from bullying, from cyberbullying, you know, in the form, like I said, of depression, um, sometimes feeling suicidal, sometimes lashing out in other ways and, and getting maybe hooked on substances uh, and other drugs that they shouldn't. Um, so that's, you know, cyberbullying is a great example of how it's not always financial. Um, but it's also, you know, there are, like I said, there are domino effects. I knew somebody who had their identity, not their identity stolen, but their um, social security stolen so that um, the criminal had uh, registered, not registered, filed taxes uh, under oh. their name. Yeah. So, you know, they got the refund if there was a refund coming to them, which I don't, if you've ever had that happen to you or know somebody that did, it takes a very long time to straighten out and a lot of phone calls, a lot of paperwork. Um, so that's a headache. But what also happened was he was not able to file his son's FAFSA form for financial aid for college. Oh boy. Uh, because he needed the tax forms for that year to do so. So that's another unintended consequences. And there's all kinds of like, crazy ways in which people adjacent to the victim are impacted without even knowing it or, or, you know, that's the thing about cybercrime. If you don't know a lot about it, you're very, not everybody, but a lot of people are very um, fast to say, well, you know, that's a sucker's thing. Um, You've got to be a fool to fall for something like that. They say fall for a lot, but, but no, you know, some people just click on, Things that look legitimate. Other people don't know they were a victim because it happened from a data breach somewhere and they didn't have to do anything. Um, other people have take good faith actions um, that end up having bad consequences. So it's never a case of somebody just being foolish. Yeah, that's, that's a stigma that I also think helps uh, keep people from reporting. And they shouldn't feel that way because um, once they start hearing these stories, it could happen to everybody. I mean, I've been a victim of cybercrime. I've had money taken out of my bank and it, it does, it feels horrible. You feel violated and you feel angry and, and embarrassed. But once you get through that and start working through, through correcting it, um, it feels better and it feels a little bit more empowering once you start taking those steps. It certainly makes you smarter. We were victims of identity theft. And so it has caused us to be very diligent just about keeping an eye on everything and teaching our kids how to keep an eye on everything, accounts and things like that, and what to look for. So it's it's important that we stay educated. So mm-hmm. what about social media? Do you guys have some suggestions of places that people can find what's currently happening? Like, is there a place where when a new type of scam pops up, is there a place that people can go to stay in touch and be aware of that? There are. There are all kinds of good places. Um, I subscribe to bulletins by the FTC. Mm-hmm. If you go onto the FTC's website, you can sign up for their bulletins. And I, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, you can even do it by state. So you get state-level notifications. But I get um, several emails a week from them telling me about new scams that are out there, um, you know, suspicious types of calls that are being reported. Uh, that's oh, a good that's one. That's great. Yeah. AARP has some great fraud resources. 
uh, especially since we're our main audience here is older adults. ARP, they have a, a scam tracking map on their website uh, that you can put in an address and it tells you, you know, what kind of scams they're seeing reported in their area. Great. And then, um, you know, we keep a blog of, of um, ongoing scams and, and new things we're seeing. We have one blog post specifically for COVID related things because that's, you know, land of its own now. But mm-hmm. uh, if you stick to, you know, the, the reputable agencies like AARP and FTC and Better Business Bureau, uh, you're going to get good information. Well, I'll tell you what, you have delivered some fantastic information today, too. Is there anything that you can think of that we didn't cover that we should? Um, maybe just a few tips on keeping yourself safe. Yes. Um, like you, you talked about social media. Be careful what you share on social media. You know, it's great to share your your daughter's birthday pictures or uh, your high school reunion or, or your pictures of your new dog. But if you think about that, those are all security questions on websites. Mm. Dog's name, where'd you go to high school? So people use that. It's called social engineering and they find information about you. And that's how those romance scammers are so effective. They say, oh, we have this in common or but they'll, they'll throw something into a conversation that they know will click with you, even if you don't know that they've seen that information. It's very tricky. We also suggest using malware scanners, you know, like the McAfee's and the Malwarebytes and, and things like that. Um, VPNs, I think, are pretty important. They're, they're called virtual private networks. They're a little harder for some people to... Um, get into because they're not as, as well known as like a virus scanner, but I keep one on my phone and it just works like a button. It's an app. You turn it on and off. And what it does is it hides your, your information and connects through a private network on public Wi-Fi. So if you're somewhere like an airport or a hotel and you go onto that public Wi-Fi, if somebody's tapped in there with bad intent, they can see everything you're doing. So if you go to your bank or your email, it's all there. Um, so I w- if you turn on the VPN, though, you're disguised and, and they can't see that. So that's a good tip. Um, and then uh, thinking off the top of my head, uh, just be careful on what you click. Go to scamspotter.org and, and kind of get those tips we were talking about. It shows you there's a little quiz on there that'll give you some examples of situations. And you can say this is a scam. This is not a scam. And you can share the results with other people. It's, it's pretty neat. Those are great tips. Wow. So my big three takeaways from today, from this conversation, number one, learn this phrase and use it. I'll call you back. That's number one for me. Mm -hmm. Secondly, report, report, report. If you have something that's going on, please reach out, please report it, please protect yourself. Don't fall victim to that. Thirdly, stay educated. And thank you for all those resources that you shared with us because that is a great start for people to dig in and dig a little deeper on what we've talked about today and find a way to protect themselves by staying educated and not only protecting themselves, but protecting the people around them too. And especially Mm -hmm. the reporting part. When you report something that has happened to you, you potentially save someone else from having that happen to them. So think about that when you think about not reporting. It's really important to report. 
for your entire community. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being with me today. Unfortunately, there will never be a short supply of bad actors trying to take advantage of us, but I think our best defense against cybercrime and fraud is education. So I appreciate that you are here today and sharing some of that education with us. And we are going to dig into the resources that you shared. And I'm so excited about what you and Cyber Support Network are doing because we need you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. And I I appreciate you sharing the information because we we do need people to to help us um, get information out about how to protect yourself and just what to look for. So I'm always available if, if any of your listeners ever need some feedback or anything else, I am happy to help um, because uh, whatever we can do to keep people from being victimized, I'm all in. That's great. And remember that you can find Mark's information, all of his contact information and links to the website in the show notes and in the blog post that goes along with the show notes. Thank all of you for listening. I really do appreciate it that you take some time out of your day to spend with me each week. As you know, we publish a new episode every Tuesday morning, so you can always look in your playlist or simply go to sageaging.us to find that. If you found value in today's conversation, I would love it if you'd click subscribe now and also share the Sage Aging podcast with a friend. I'd also love to connect with you on social media. You can find Sage Aging on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Follow us and like us so we can follow you back and say hello. Thanks for listening, everyone. Make it a great day and we'll talk real soon.